Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. How many believe you still the resurrection and the life? Hallelujah. We're going to get back to life here a little bit. We're going to talk about these scriptures, and um, I feel like the Lord is in it. Amen. Chapter 9 of the book of Luke. Verse number 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying. Everybody say praying. A lot of things happen when you pray. His disciples were with him and asked them, and he asked them, whom say the people that I am? He said, who do they say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Others say the one that, that one of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, okay, well, that's interesting. But who do you say that I am? You have to answer that question in your life. Who do you say God is to you? And he will direct your life to the point where you ask that question. Where is God in my life? And who is he to me? Peter answered, said, the Christ of God, or the Son of the living God, the Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Wait a minute. We have revelation. And he's saying, don't tell anybody. Because the time wasn't ready yet. How many know that time has a purpose in God's plan? That there's something called the fullness of time. And some things have a place in time. And so he says, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and, he, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, the people that have all the knowledge, that they were going to be rejecting him and be slain and be raised the third day. Now this is really bad news. This is not good news at all. And he said to them, all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? And I want to focus on that part it says in verse 24 for whosoever will save his life will lose it but whosoever will lose his life for my sake the same shall save it and I want to talk to you for a little while about who's writing my story who's writing my story you may have found a pen on the seat where you're sitting you're going to need that when we get to the altar call so make sure you find one it didn't get away from you and you may be seated in the house of the Lord Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask you to bless the hearing and the reading of your word. Let it be seed to the sower and let it become life. Let it be manifest in us as we live it out in Jesus' name. Let your word become flesh in this place. And someone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Reese, for teaching a great class this morning. How many enjoyed the Bible study? It's good stuff. Amen. To give you just a quick summary of what I want to talk to you about, it's 
the hinge idea here is that if we will have faith, Jesus can resurrect areas of our life that we have written off as dead, that we have said are gone and over and impossible. And so the story of your life becomes your testimony. How many know that? And how many know your testimony is powerful? It is the thing that converts others. It literally has converting power. When we decided that we were going to take some of our product overseas, we had to figure out how was the power going to convert so that they could actually run the device that we were sending to them. And we had to do some studies on how that was going to affect the server that we were sending over there. And we, I got sent out several times to go look for converters, something that would convert the power so the power that they were supplying over there would actually run the stuff that we sent from over here. And I want you to know that God has already taken care of that for you. The power that he has in eternity, the power that he has in heaven came through Jesus Christ and he converted it so that we could then have attachment to a God who is all powerful, amen? He was the middleman. Hello, somebody. He is the power converter for us, and he gives us the ability to then step into what God has planned for us. In other words, whenever we think something is dead, there is a power that can bring it back to life. And I'm thankful that I know that God can do that in my life, that things that I thought would never come to pass have come to pass. Amen. And I'm thankful that the things I thought were gone, he just said, I'll bring it back whenever it's the right time. Or even impossible things, I know God can do because I've watched him do it. Amen. There are several places where God did some impossible things in Scripture. Three of them I want to just point out to you quickly. And those are the places where Jesus literally resurrected someone from the dead. The physical death. And I'm not talking metaphorically right now. I mean, they were gone and they were dead. There's the one, the first one that is there, that agony that you see with Jairus over his younger daughter. But aren't you glad that Jesus was the promise coming down his dusty road? Amen. That Jesus literally said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he, of course, demonstrated that to Mary and Martha as they mourned their brother Lazarus, the second one. And then the third one I wanted to show to you today is in Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles and you turn back just a couple pages, Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17, there is a story, or turn forward, excuse me, we were in chapter 9. There's a story of a, a young mother who's on her way to a, a burial site with her son in a casket and and Jesus comes upon them or is in the the crowd as they're walking and the verse that I want to pull is begins at verse 11 and it and it says I want to make sure I'm in the right place because I am not seven verse 11 through 17 this is what happens whenever I put when I put my Bible up here and I don't put it in my notes chapter 7 verse 11. It says, and it came to pass the day after that he went into the city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said unto her, weep not. He first addressed her emotions, and then he addressed her situation. I need you to know that God cares about how you feel. 
I need you to know that God cares about what you're going through and he will come to you and he will put his arm around you when you feel at your lowest moment and he will say, it's going to be okay. I know the way that you take and I'm going to help you out and then he will address your situation. And verse 14 says, and he came and touched the beer or the casket or the place where the boy laid, the place where death was. He came and he touched the beer. Of course, I lost my place. Excuse me for a second as I find it. Verse 14, and they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. We want to see God say that to the prodigals that come back during 12 back to life. We want to see God say that to our hearts. We want to see God say that to some things in our life that we have laid down and said, that will never happen for me. We want to see God say, come back to life or arise. Amen, someone. These are the things that God shares with people that he loves. This is, these are the things that he does for people that he loves. He touches dead things and says, get up. Be made new, be made whole. In fact, both situations had Jesus at the center of attention. All of these situations had had moments where Jesus was walking. One where he's going to to minister to Jairus's daughter, who was apparently sick. But then the 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 news came that she had died, and the the woman with the issue of blood had stopped the the progression toward Jairus's house. But then we see that when Mary and Martha were waiting on Jesus, that Jesus took an extra few days before he came, so that Lazarus was in the tomb. And they said, "Why didn't you come? He was your friend. Why weren't you here?" And Lazarus was was alive but now is dead and Jesus said don't worry about that I can handle that too in other words you have to be willing in your book and in your story of life to have a few chapters and one of the chapters is you have to write down that you are okay with waiting on God you are okay with God taking his perfect timing, that there is a fullness of time for the things he wants to do in your life, and you are okay taking a number sometimes and taking a seat and saying, God, and I don't mean sitting down on the Lord. I mean being active and doing what God calls you to do. But when it hasn't happened and you haven't seen the impossible and you still feel like things are dying or not becoming new in Christ, you can literally say, I'm okay with the weight on you, God. I'm okay with knowing that you're going to do it and I trust you in your timing amen somebody so one of the chapters you have to have in your book is that you're okay with the weight with God and I know that it's really hard to take those moments in the waiting room when you're waiting on news, you're waiting on a job, or you're waiting on a, a moment for God to bring a relationship, or you're waiting on the deepest parts of your life to be touched by God because there's been damage, and you're wondering, will I ever heal? I promise you, if he says he's the healer, he's got to be your healer. Or he is a liar, and God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not said it, will he not do it? Hath he not spoken it, will he not bring it to pass? And God is a God of his word, amen? And because he's a God of his word, his word arrests everything that is against him. In other words, when he says it, God literally speaks it, and it must happen as he said it. His word can arrest natural law, for Peter walked on his word on the water. Peter didn't walk on water. Peter 
or walked on God's word when he said come. You can step out on something you're supposed to sink in if God gives you a word to go do it. In other words, when God speaks, he brings life to anything that's dead. When he speaks, he stops every natural law from resisting a new thing in your life. You can walk on his word. Amen, somebody. I know that is the case, and I know that is true because I've had God say things to me that should never have come into my life. I didn't have the privileges. I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have the possessions. I didn't have the things that God said that everybody else could have, but I just trusted God, and I just shed whatever I needed to shed to stay in his perfect will. And when you do that, when you have that kind of surrender, when you let God write in your story a, a chapter of full surrender to him. He begins to speak into your life things that nobody can stop. Literally nobody can stop. And you become an unstoppable force of the word of God made flesh in the earth. Literally you become like Jesus, not in deity, but in his word living out through you. And I'm thankful that I know a resurrecting God because the slow ebb and fade and slip into things Sometimes I need a God to come in and just grab a hold of me and bring back to life some things I didn't even know were slipping. Amen, somebody. How, how many of you know that we drift? We do. Our soul doesn't mean to. Our flesh doesn't mean to, but we drift. And we need to get in his presence where we can be touched by God and he can speak a rise to some things in us. Amen, someone. He says it to... Then when he joins Jairus, he reassures Jairus in Mark 5.36, don't be afraid, just believe. Then standing right outside of the graveside of Mary, with Mary, he inspired by the, we're inspired by the words of John of, uh, of, of the Lord in John 11.25, where he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I've already said that to you, but you know the word of God. And then I also want you to understand that when God says something like that, he has to become it. He doesn't just speak it in his word for that time period. He speaks it in his word for us to take it and apply it to this time period. Because if he ever has been anything in time or eternity, he still is that or he cannot be God. He does not diminish. And so he says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying to Martha. He's saying, I control death and I control life. I control when you have that job and when you need to move on. I control when things get moved out of your life and I control when things are risen back into your life. I'm thankful for Resurrection Sunday, but I'm thankful for the fact that I don't celebrate it just once, one time a year. I'm thankful that God does that in me every single day. Amen? Every single day. He's my resurrection in my life. The scripture never tells us what exactly caused the boy to die, nor do we know his age but we know that the funeral procession was of great amount of people. And they were headed to the grave to bury this young man, the son dead, and his mother grieves. A woman who lost her husband, and now she's lost her son. Talk about a great level of grief. What makes the story even harder to bear is that the woman is not only walking to her grave, but she doesn't even recognize that Jesus is in the crowd. She's so overwhelmed with her loss that she doesn't see that there's one who can restore right in the midst. But Jesus sees her. 
sometimes I get so overwhelmed with life and you get overwhelmed with the bills and the life that you live and the schedule and all the things you're going through and you can be looking down just trying to get through it. Yeah, you whisper his name on your lips. Yeah, you have a worship in your heart. Yes, you know that you should pray without ceasing and you have his word on your mind throughout the day and there's things you're doing but there's moments when he looks at you and you don't realize because you're just so overwhelmed with life that he is looking down with compassion on you. You may not see the answer while he's standing right next to you, but the answer sees you and he will do something for you. He will be moved with compassion on your situation and he will step in when you don't even know he's there. Sometimes even though we know he's there, we don't act like it. That's what I mean. Our actions are so focused on we got to get it done and sometimes we can become self-initiative self-initiated to do it. I got to do this. I got to do it. I, I, I. If we forget that he wants to partner with us and give us his rest. Amen, somebody. The scripture tells us that Jesus came forward and he was moved with compassion for her even though she didn't see him. And when he came forward, the Bible says he touched the coffin in the original Greek there, the word used for touch is actually means to fasten to or to adhere to. He let go of it and he didn't let go. I mean, he grabbed onto it and didn't let go. So I'm sure Jesus literally walked up and grabbed the coffin. That's what the scripture says to me. And no wonder they stopped walking. No wonder they couldn't carry the casket any further. They carried the coffin until Jesus got a hold of it and then it stood still, amen? Jesus had no intent of being another pallbearer and he's got no intent of taking anything that you feel like is dead to the grave with you. He wants to step in and touch it and arrest that procession. He wants to arrest that motion. He wants to say, no, your thinking may be going that direction, but hold on, let me get a hold of it and I can change it all. I can turn this thing around. No matter how close you are to the grave with that situation, no matter how many people have said, yeah, you're right, I'm going to help you carry it as a pallbearer. I'm going to give up on it too. Let's just take it and bury it because that relationship's done, that, that ministry's done, that hope is over with. Yeah, let's all just make a procession. Let's all join in. There were many people walking with the widow, but there was one that could change the entire outcome, and his name was Jesus. And when he, he got a hold of the of the casket. He said, I'm not going to join everybody that thinks this is the way we need to go, but I'm going to swim upstream. I'm going to do something a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit crazy. Nobody maybe have seen it or even heard of it before, but I'm about to raise this boy for this widow. I'm going to change everything. And after all, Jesus has been moved with that raw emotion that he has compassion on her. In verse 13, he tells her when the Lord saw her his heart went out to her and he had great compassion. As deep-hearted, deep heartfelt love is what he had. And it caused him to approach and speak to that boy. And when he spoke, Jesus didn't assure everybody, yeah, just, you know, it, it, it's, it's rough, but we're going to get through this. No, he said, you're going to get up. You're not going to stay there. You're not going to be stuck there. This is not your outcome this is not what you'll always be. Don't cry. Be strong, but get up is what he's saying. And he says that to us all the time.
You, you may cry over some situations. You may struggle with some things. But eventually, the resurrected Lord is going to say, get up. Get up out of that situation. I've got more for you. I've got things for you to do. And so he does that for us. And so Jesus reassures his mother in, in verse 14. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. He's speaking to a dead thing. That tells you how powerful God's word is. Jesus knew that if he spoke to it, it had to respond to his word. No life in the body. Life standing before him speaking a word. That word had to be responded to by a dead thing. Have you ever taken a dead thing to the Lord and asked him to do something with it? When we were in Muskego, um, our dog found a, a mouse, and it was, it was like, I believe it was a mouse. It was something. It, I don't know exactly. I think it was part of some animal. And he brought it to the door so happy, so excited. I think it was part of a fox. If I remember, maybe it was a fox's head. It was a fox's face. And I come to the door, and I open, and he had set it on the step. And he's just, <laughs> Dad, look what I found. Dogs are not that bright. It just lets you know. I mean, these, this is the breed that will chase their tail and bark at it like it's another dog. It's, har, 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 har. <laughs> That's why you need to buy your dog squeaky toys. So they actually have something they're playing with instead of chasing their tail in the backyard. Your neighbors are like, wow, they got a wacko one. Put up the invisible fence around our yard. We'll just zap him if he comes over. Sometimes whenever God wants to do something in our life, we've been living in such a mode of thinking or such a mode of emotion that we don't see anything in our future because of what we're staring at in our past. And so our, this dog brings me this dead thing. I'm, I'm, I've only once ever prayed over a dead thing before. And I'm like, oh. So I scoop it up, and I take it out, and I give it its proper burial in the back 40, you know. And, and sure enough, the dog goes looking for it. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't know if he brought it back, but uh, he smelled like it. He had rubbed himself in it. And he got down and he just like, you know how dogs do? They just rub on it. I don't know what that is in a dog. But he came in smelling so bad. And I'm like, oh, no. We got an instant bath, you know, like let's take him Listerine. You know, I'm standing 40 feet away with a power washer just, you know, dog is rolling around the yard. I'm like, it's, it's okay, hon. He's clean. <laughs> it's, oh, oh, no. But sometimes when you've been in something for so long, you think like it, you live like it, you don't have a change that you can see in your life, and you think that that's an okay way to live or okay thing to do. And you can, I used to have, I had a mirror that I used to bring to sermons, and I would say, you need to take down the rearview mirror and stop looking in your past, stop wallowing like the dog did in dead things things that are behind you, things that are not, not, not things that need to speak to your life right now. And, and, and maybe, even though that's kind of funny, but maybe, maybe you are like that dog that's chasing something in his past, his tail. Maybe you've just been going and feeling like you've been going in circles. And God is trying to tell you that I have something different for you. I have something new for you. I want to speak a rise to somebody in this room right now. 
I want to say that God is giving you or bestowing upon you the gift of new. Literally, he's giving that gift. And so upon hearing the command arise, the boy literally sat up and begins to speak. The word spoke a word and the thing that was dead responded, sat up and spoke a word. Isn't that powerful? That the first thing that the dead thing thought it should do was speak back to the creator that spoke to him. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever spoken in tongues before in a moment where you feel like everything was dead around you? And when the Holy Ghost showed up, you didn't know anything yet to do. You didn't, you didn't have an answer yet. You didn't have an option yet. But when you felt the Holy Ghost hit you on that situation, the only thing you could do about those dead things when he said arise into your situation is to speak back a Holy Ghost tongue and to pray in the Holy Ghost. When God touches you with a word, the the only thing you need do back is say thank you Jesus I give you words back I give you praise back you don't have to understand my praise because you don't understand my pain but when God spoke arise to me I got up and said you will forever have my words you will forever have praise on my lips you are the word that is alive and powerful in my life and if I ever need to give testimony it is just me speaking back to the one who spoke to me. I had this situation happen where we were talking with somebody this week and we were doing life group and we were enjoying life group and I got all scientific and I started being all happy. And, and I was talking about how, how God literally spoke the world into existence and the fact that people just can't even put their brain around that. How does God speak and all this matter is here how does he do that? For The Bible says that God said, let there be light. And they, had, they actually accidentally recreated what God did in the beginning underwater. And I have a picture of it for you. I want to show it to you, and you can read the caption. What they did was they reverse engineered what God did at the beginning. They, didn't even, they don't even know how they did it. But if you collapse an underwater bubble with a sound wave, light is produced and nobody knows why. God literally spoke energy sound. He said, let there be, boom, light. He took atmosphere and sound energy and created light. That's what they did here accidentally underwater. They broke a bubble, which is atmosphere, with a sound wave and created light. Same thing God did in Genesis 1-1. Uh, maybe that's not impressive to you. That's really impressive to me. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to take a praise break right now. Because literally God uses the beauty of science to create things. And I don't understand how somebody can look at all of what God has created. Thank you, Reese, for an amazing lesson this morning. All of what God's created and said there is no God. How can you look at everything created and say there is no God? I got a caption for you, a cartoon. It's the same thing. It, it kind of illustrates the ridiculousness of saying all this just happened. This is atheist logic right here. This building is a marvel of architecture design. He recognizes there's an architecture. There's someone who architected the building. He said, this painting shows mastery of technique. Somebody created this beautiful thing. He goes... The engine, this engine is a real piece of sophisticated engineering. Someone engineered it. And, but when the atheist gets to the beauty of creation, clearly no one made all of this. 
The truth is that God spoke it and it can become it. And that's why we need the word of God every time we get together on a Sunday morning. That's why we need to hear a rhema from God, a word that builds our faith and puts into our life things that are established that nobody can remove. Literally, we walk on the word throughout all of our week and he's writing the story. He's putting words in your story every single week when you come here and when you walk away from this moment, you are sustained by the words of God that he says in your life. It's a Bible, it's a book to some. It's just a history-structured piece of literature, but it's really not. It's the living word of God. And he wrote this story so that you can help yourself write yours. I'm thankful for the chapters he's put in my life, but I wonder who's writing your story right now. Are you writing your story? Do you have that pen out? Like, I got this, God. I can take care of this myself. I, I can write... I can write my, my plan out. I can write my way out. I can write my struggles down in a, over here in the ledger and I can get beyond it. Are you letting someone else write your life from the struggles that you've been through? Maybe you're letting voices speak to you from people that were derogatory towards your character and your person and you're still hearing those voices and they're speaking to your self-esteem. I want you to know that Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That means that there is going to be a tomb that you have to walk into in order for you to have a resurrection. And in order for God to write your story, you have to lay down your pen and surrender it to the Lord. You have to let him write your story. Amen? Are you letting God write your story today? Is he doing the work in your life? Let me tell you a couple chapters that you need in your life. Number one is you need to know that he's created everything so he can create the perfect story out of you. Number two, you need to know that he knows how to do the best rewrite. He can take a story that's a mess. I don't know if you've ever seen any of my writing, but when I submit it to my wife for her to look through it, she's like, you might want to start over. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't. She's like, oh, Lord, I think I can help. <laughs> I have, you know, a couple English majors around me right now, and so it's really hard. I, I started to decide, I decided I was going to write some devotionals, and uh, I got a little bit discouraged with that because I wrote, I wrote some things, and I was like, oh, that's awesome, and then I read it like four weeks later, and I was like, okay, I'm signing up for English classes at the college. <laughs> I'm just like, I need some help, Jesus. Send me a professor. <laughs> It's just because I moved so much in school when I was younger, I didn't get a good education, but God can still use you. God can still use you. He built a church here because I just said, okay, here's the pen. You, you write it. I can't get there myself. I'll change my belief systems if I have to and match them to the word of God. I'll change my heart if I have to and match them to your plan for my life. I'll surrender even my scars and let you use them to tell your story. I'll let go of everything that I feel like I have to protect and let you be my guide and my protector. I'll release everything to you so that when my book is done, it's a bestseller because he wrote it. He's the one that has written my life and I cannot have taken any credit for it. There's not a word, a tin or jottle or whatever they call that thing. I don't even know what they call it. But every little amount of my life written is going to say that he authored it. 
I didn't have any opportunities, but he made a way for me. I didn't have any, any hopes, but he was my hope. And at the back of the book, when I read it, I get his victory. The best thing I did was surrender the pen of my life to him. Who's writing your story today? Stand with me, would you? Because if you try to write your story, I promise you, it won't be as much of a bestseller as the story he writes in you. Because in the footnotes at the end of the book, if he writes it, he'll finish it with no reserves but me, no regrets in me, and no more pain and sin enter into eternal life. I win because I read the back of the book and he writes my story, amen? I'm so grateful that I know that when he writes my life, it's a bestseller and I can take that story and I can share it with someone and they can say, I want a story like that in my life and I don't have to tell them, well, you need to do it just like I did. You need to, you need to write this chapter you need to write a chapter on freedom from your past. You need to write a chapter on, on stop blaming. I don't have to tell them any of that. All I have to do is say, would you give your pen to Jesus? Because he died for you. And he'll take care of the writing of the story. I can pray for you. I can love you. I can be a shepherd to you. But when it comes to the real work of your heart and your mind, it's only a surrendered pen to the Lord. Would you get your pen in your hand today? And would you help me pray, Jesus? This is what we want. We want to surrender in this room of our story. That our story will be like your story. That we will have victory in you. So we surrender today our lives. This altar call is about laying down what I believe and what I am. For you said in your word that anyone that will save their life will lose it. But whosoever will lose their life, can I say whosoever will give the pen of their story to Jesus, they will find their life and the same shall save it. Do you want a saving story? Do you want a blockbuster? Do you want a powerful anointed story? Then I'm asking they make this place a prayer room and bring the lights down and we're going to walk to this altar. I don't know what your future holds, but I know who holds it. So would you bring your pen and lay it on the altar and kneel and just ask God, Lord, I surrender my story to you. Maybe you've been writing too much of it lately. Maybe you've been striving and struggling. Maybe you have been wallowing even in some dead things and you need to have him write the chapter of freedom from my past. Maybe you need to surrender some scars that still hurt you. Maybe you need to ask God to help protect you because you, you just feel like you need to protect so many things so that you can control the outcomes, but he is the God who controls outcomes. Let him write and be the author. If you let him today and you surrender this pen symbolically of your life and let him write your story, he will be the author and the finisher of your faith. Let's pray together so we'd have no reserves. Give up every surrender, everything. 
Take no plan B. Jesus is plan A, and there is no plan B. Release your story to him so that you have no regrets and no retreat. In Jesus' name.